Nerd Appropriate presents exclusive coverage of the Bioware Base recorded live at PAX East 2013. All right, welcome to the Rated NA podcast for NerdAppropriate.com. This is the second in a special series of panels we're bringing you from the Bioware base at PAX East 2013. Uh, Hillary, why don't you tell us which one this is? So this is Dragon Age Thetis Unlocked, and this is the first panel that we are going to release um, around Dragon Age. There's actually two, and this one's super special because executive producer Mark Dara is on board. So it's a really informative panel. If you have any questions about Dragon Age, this is definitely the one to listen to. And then tomorrow we'll be releasing another another Dragon Age panel that's kind of more funny. So I'm super excited yeah. to see what you guys think about that. Yeah, the uh, the second of the Dragon Age panels definitely um, delves into the ridiculous. So I think <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely two very different panels. So that's why we decided to uh, give you guys both of them because we're givers. Um, Scott, wow. if people want, I know we we just give and give and give. <laughs> we give and uh, give and give. We can't help ourselves. Um, Scott, if people want to find us uh, without actually coming to our homes, how can they do that? Yeah, for uh, people that might be new to us, um, you can connect with us um, on Twitter at Nerd Appropriate. You can email us at Ash, Matt, Hillary with one L, or Scott at nerdappropriate.com. And uh, if you're visiting us on the page where all these podcasts are located, you can click the subscribe button on the page. And then uh, all of the rest of the podcasts this weekend will magically appear in your your feed, which is totally awesome. Filter into your podcast reader of choice. Indeed. We give. uh, We like to give to you guys. We are givers. We do. And without any further ado, we will give you uh, Dragon Age Status (laughs) Unlocked from uh, Saturday at PAX East. I need some energy here. I like it. I like it. Um, thank you guys so much for coming. My name is Jessica Marzin. Um, I lead the community team for Bioware Edmonton in Montreal. Um, we're always listening. And this is the world of Thetis. I am so pleased to introduce my co-panelists. We have Nick, who is one of our amazing concept artists. Oh. We have Stacy Hill from Tor Books, um, our most recent one that came out is Dragon Age Asunder. Um, someone from the back, bring me a book. Anyway, um, we have Mike Laidlaw, creative director, Mark Dara, executive producer, Dave, who is with Dark Horse, and one of our amazing editors at Dark Horse. He doesn't have a last name. I'm sorry, I, I know no, he doesn't, Marshall. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't oh, have you don't have oh, Okay, well, that's, that's my fault. I'm sorry. No. We'll fix that. Anyway, and we have... Ben Jelena, who Hello. is our editor with Dragon, Dragon Age, and he is he has seen death. So <laughs> like recently. Like recently. Guys, so let's do a quick fire question. If you were a weapon, what kind of weapon would you be? Oh, I got this one. So, did you guys ever find that sword that kind of looked like a hand in DA2? Yeah, that's that's me, because that looks so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Nick, what would you be? Uh, a slingshot? That'd be annoying <laughs> more than anything. Oh. I think. A pea shooter or something. Pea oh. shooter? Wow. You'd be a pea shooter. Yeah. Like a pea shooter? Yeah. Would you be like a, like a plants versus zombies pea shooter? Or yeah. like a, a urine shooter? Or like, no. like a, a pea shooter? <laughs> now it's a party. Wow. Okay. Oh there you go. Nick is a combination of the above. Uh huh. Stacy? Um, I think I would be a. Uh, I'm going to go with dagger. Versatile, a dagger. Useful. Good in all situations. She's versatile. Wow. Fits in your belt. Yeah. Yep. I'd go trebuchet, because it also fits in your belt. It's very portable. <laughs> uh, anything that gets gravity as a weapon, that's a... Uh... Um, uh, I don't know. An explosion. <laughs> so you would be like a firestorm. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be a firestorm. Mm-hmm. Realize it wouldn't exist after the one time. It would be awesome that one time. <laughs> that one time. You'd just be waiting, we'd be waiting for you to go off. I'm going to say a hug. Oh. Oh. oh! Wow! Yeah. Or yeah. Fill it with kindness, like ladies and gentlemen. Or a sledgehammer. <laughs> or a Why not both? Yeah, it's a, a sledgehammer hug. <laughs> wow. Well, this panel is going places. So I have magically gotten a copy of Asunder. Um, I I usually don't freak out about our products. I mean, you know me, I do. Um, but this literally. I force it on everyone. It is it is my favorite Dragon Age book, and you might want to read this one. <laughs> While you are waiting for things, maybe you might want to read this one. Might tell you things about Massacre 4. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you're saying? I don't know. Wink. I don't have clearance. You might want to read this one. Stacey, can we talk a little bit about Asunder sure. and the work you guys do at Tour Books and sure. an awesome partnership with us? Sure. Um, okay, so where would you like me to start? There's a lot to uh, So we have we have three Dragon Age books out with you guys. Uh, we have Stolen Throne. We have I should not have said this off the top of my head. What is the second one? The Calling. The Calling. <laughs> yes, I, I always forget the Calling because it's it's the classic and simple. The Calling. Mm-hmm. And we have Asunder, um, which is a complicated word. And tell us a little bit about making books that are kind of a companion to the lore for those of us who just can't get enough of King Merrick, Alistair, finding out about some of our favorite characters, like Shale, maybe? Right. Um, yes, especially if you enjoy Shale and Wynne, you should read Asunder. Shale um, and win. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't care. You need to read it. If you haven't read it, read it. <laughs> so the, the goal uh, that we are always after when we're doing a tie-in novel is to give you guys more of the world, you know, to immerse you just a little deeper in that experience, to illuminate corners of Thetis that we wouldn't be able to see in the game, either because they just haven't been developed or they haven't really... Uh, had a space to be fit into the overarching story that Bioware was trying to tell. So, um, natural uh, next step for that, I suppose. Um, certainly, with the Stolen Throne was to tell the story of Loghain and Merrick, and how Loghain became the person that he is when you start Dragon Age Origins. Um, the Calling was an excellent way to look at how Duncan became the person who he is, and it all kind of cumulatively gives you just that little bit more information. 
so that you have a richer gaming experience. Um, and Asunder uh, goes, of course, in part to Orlay, which is a very interesting setting um, that's only referenced in the games. And it really, you know, novels give you the opportunity to, uh, to highlight situations and characters that you wouldn't normally be able to do in the game. I'm battling now. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're great. Um, I love that, you know, there is no canon story in Dragon Age. So this is, you know, everything happening in this book is 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 one thread of, you know, where your Dragon Age story might take you. But I really love that it creates such a dynamic, um, you know, a, a very dimensional characterization that, you know, Logan is not the baddie. You know, he's a complicated character. There's, there's a lot of complexity. Um, what was that like working with David to really flesh out the complexities of some of these characters in the Dragon Age universe? Well, the, the interesting thing about working with David is that he never tells me where it's all going, right? So <laughs> I had no either. idea when I was... <laughs> <laughs> I had um, no idea when I was editing The Stolen Throne that Loghain was going to be the bad guy, or at least kind of the bad guy in Dragon Age Origins. He just kind of says, oh, well, this this will be important later. You know, I'm doing a thing with this. Don't, you know, don't, don't worry about it. And I just kind of have to go, okay. Um, because he's David Gator. He's in charge. Um, and so that's always kind of interesting. You know, it's, it's a nice surprise for me sometimes when I'm playing the game to figure out where Dave was going with it and to see what he was doing. And it all kind of clicks together. Oh, no wonder he ignored that editorial note. He was absolutely right. But I don't necessarily know that at the time. Absolutely. And on another kind of companion that we have to the series is with our partnership with Dark Horse. Um, we have Dave here to speak on behalf of Dark Horse, and um, we have the World of Thetis coming out, Volume One, which I am super excited about. Um, Dave, can you talk a little bit? And uh, you know, Ben and, and Nick also worked on World of Thetis. Uh, a little bit about you know what people can expect when it's coming out and any juicy tidbits sure. that you want to share with us. Um, so yeah, so it's coming out next month. Um, this awesome piece of art here uh, by Nick Thornbo is the cover. Um, Shut up! You did that, Nick. <laughs> uh, yeah, and <laughs> it's it's great. Uh, it's it's designed to be incredibly comprehensive for the hardcore fan um, really get into depth of uh, the races and the regions um, and uh, the sort of building blocks of the universe but presented in a very accessible way so that uh, a casual fan can pick it up um, you can just you know flip to a section read a couple of pages put it down um, it's uh, it's a fun book it's easy to read it's easy on the eyes it's filled with rarely seen or never seen concept art that's been developed um, by the team at Bioware uh, over the, the years uh, working on these games. Um, it really comes from the studio. You know, Dark Horse published the book, but the, the writing team been here um, and uh, a bunch of the writers on the games contributed all of the text. All of the art comes from the artists on the games. Um, you couldn't really get a more... Uh, authentic window into this this universe. It's uh, so yeah. It's a gr it's a great way to sort of spend some time with the world while you're waiting for the next game or get up to speed on uh, what everybody's so excited about. So 
I'll, I'll leave Ben to talk a little bit more about the contents. And win arguments. <laughs> ben, ben, you edited the volume, so you kind of have Thetis, like, you are kind of a walking encyclopedia of Thetis now. Uh, <laughs> it's, he, doesn't, he doesn't really walk so much. Yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of just shamble. Um, so uh, my, my role in the book basically was uh, to own the text. Uh, so for a, a lot of it, what I was doing was digging through the expansive lore that we've developed internally and trying to build uh, a, a comprehensive guide to Thetis. Um, and in order to do that, I had to compress, I had to get creative with organization, and I needed to uh, figure out how to best present that. So volume one is because we have so much stuff. <laughs> so we have so much stuff that we've, that we've developed that um, you're going you're gonna to pick up the book and you're going to be like, wow, there's a lot in there. And then you're going to be like, I wonder if this is in there. And hopefully most often you're going to be like, oh, there it is. But if it's not there, believe me. Uh, it will be eventually. Um, the uh, the process was basically that I, I took all that stuff and I I wrote sort of a main text that is in a voice that's authoritative, encyclopedic, but in world. So it's it's it very much treats Thetis as the only world that exists. And then punctuating that are a bunch of other avenues to to dive into the lore. So an extensive timeline. Uh, Extensive. It goes the length of the entire book. Um, multiple sidebars, tons of sidebars with fresh narrative content from uh, almost every writer on Dragon Age, including David Gator, um, giving new insight into everything from fashion in different regions to sexuality in Thetis, all kinds of stuff. Um, and Griffins, uh, all like, we, we, I looked at a lot of stuff and I was like, we have not talked a lot about this. Why'd you sure. say Griffins right after sexuality? <laughs> <laughs> I really like Griffins. I don't know. To, 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 to get us back off that, how you, there yeah. was like there were thousands of words of like all new stuff written for this, right? Oh yeah. The, the oh, writers, yeah. the writers, you know, buckled down for oh. a good week, and we're just like, oh, I'm going to get my brother Jan TV yeah. on. I mean, when you say thousands of words, it, it's all new writing, um, but a lot of it's sort of uh, a lot of the new writing is fiction. Uh, well, it's all fiction, I guess. <laughs> this, is, this is how much I've been, how much time I've been spending in this lore that, that they I just made this that. up. I know <laughs> this is fiction. Actually, ben, yeah. uh, I'm rambling, aren't I? I, I? I didn't want to do this in front of so many people, but Thetis isn't real. It's not like Europe where you can go go there. Like, you have to turn on your Xbox or your PC or your PS3 to go there. It's, it's fiction. They said when I was done, I. I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jess, you're really hurting his performance right now. So, Nick. So and Nick, <laughs> you you curated the art as well as created some original art pieces. Yep. What was that like going through the vast collection of art that you guys must have? Uh, humbling, overwhelming, overwhelming. Yeah. We're used as concept artists to like finish a concept and then throw it in the concept folder, and it's not like we never see it again, but. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time in the concept folder once it's been done. So for several months, that's where I spent all my time, and I could not believe how much had been done before I joined the Dragon Age team and how much we'd done since I joined the Dragon Age team. There was just so much. Um, our art director is 
of the belief that we aren't just making a game. We're not just populating a game with things. We really are building a world. And so if suddenly we find ourselves with not a ton to do, then he's like, well, let's explore this corner of the world. Let's, let's just check it out. Let's explore, um, let's flesh out what the Kunari culture is, like what their motifs are. And so we really are building a world. So we had so much to draw from. Um, and you're going to see it all in the book. And so much of it is, is very distinctive art styles. It's not, it's not, there is no one Dragon Age style of artwork. Right. Yes. Thetis is yeah. very, like, regional specific. And even, you know, the artists who are working on it, you all have, like, such amazing and unique styles. Thanks, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we do have sort of a general philosophy that kind of governs, like, when we draw anything in Thetis, we sort of have this philosophy that, that we sort of follow. But you're right. When, when you're talking about, like, Ferelden versus Orlais, they have... Um, different resources at their disposal as cultures, so it's going to inform the kind of things they make, the kind of clothing they wear, the sort of houses they live in, um, and we would try to take that into account when we're when yeah, we're absolutely. And I, I think um, one thing that I've been really humbled by in talking to you all is that you know I, I think traditionally we think okay, you know the writers write everything, and you all in 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 cinematic design, in level design, in concept art, you all think about, okay, well, not only is this what this person is wearing, but you can tell me what kind of undergarments they're wearing. You can tell me yep. why a person is wearing the kind of blacksmithing apron. You, can, you guys think about the backstory to all of this. The backstory and then the practicality of it. So we are, we are trying to think about, like, if, you know, we're dry, designing a suit of armor, we want to actually try to make it work like um, as much as possible what is the functionality of everything that we're putting together so no straps for straps sakes the straps are cool but find a reason for them to exist <laughs> <laughs> how, how do we feel about midriff Nick <laughs> don't talk to me about midriff <laughs> alright <laughs> no well, there's like a standing rule on the concept art team that there will be no belly buttons in armor yeah. <laughs> Wait, what, what about the chainmail bikini that I've been working oh, on? I wish I could show you this concept. One of our concept artists, as a joke, threw this into the review folder. Okay, <laughs> I know the one. It's it's basically a skeleton, like just filled with arrows, and it's wearing a chainmail bikini. Because <laughs> that's what would happen. <laughs> I, I, I stumbled across that one the other day. I was like, what? Oh, man, they're going, they're going dark in there. <laughs> and I would like to mention that um, the World of Thetis hasn't come out yet, but Stacy has actually brought us some um, books so that we can share them with you. So a after the uh, Mass Effect retrospective panel, we'll open the base again, and we will do signings with the Dragon Age team and the Mass Effect team. And the first, like, you know, 50 to 90 people who come and get something signed by the Dragon Age team you will get signed copies of Asunder. So if you want to come back, thank you so much, Stacey, and Tour Books for providing those for us. I, I'm going to enjoy reading it again. I'm not going to get a copy. I'm going to read over someone's shoulder. Um, I want to talk the games a little bit. Unfortunately, we can't really talk too much Dragon Age 3, but I am curious about what it's been like to work on Frostbite. Mm. 
So Frostbite is for, first and foremost designed as a shooter engine. So we've been working, wow, it's been a while now, for a while, to not put a date on it. Many moons. Many moons <laughs> um, on converting it to allow us to use it to build an RPG, uh, to, to, you know, conversation systems, cinematic systems, even basic uh, stat systems. Third person. Third, third person, pausing. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's it's a beautiful engine, and it's capable of doing a lot of things that we haven't been able to do before. Uh, and I think you're really going to like what it can do once we actually show you something, which isn't today, to be clear. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a really impressive engine. We've seen uh, we've seen a lot of of neat changes. So. Um Two two big things I really like about the engine is that since it's since it's dice and dice is a part of EA, so this, this is one of the benefits of EA is you actually can do skill sharing, right? It's you know it's a it's a big corporation, but there's some very very smart people in the dice guys. They know their stuff cold, right? Um, and it's interesting because they're they're a very different philosophy. They're kind of like what Ben described them the other day. It's like sometimes they have programmers who can write, programmers who do art, programmers who they're all kind of programmers. Whereas we have a lot more specialists. We bring people in from the machinima community, or we bring in like the authors and stuff to do our writing, and they're not as technical. So we we're a little more reliant on tools. But the the neat thing is, as a result, since what we focus on, you know, the storytelling, the character interactions, you know. Uh, Heck, melee, right? You know, actually a lot of, of physical contact stuff. Um, we're creating stuff that doesn't really conflict with the work they've been doing. And as a result, the, the, we've been able to kind of share code. So as they get stuff that, like, looks better and, you know, they're giving us awesome new water and, and cool, like, rendering stuff, we're feeding them things that can help them make cutscenes, things that can help them make story, so that you aren't really fighting. It's like building two towers together. Mm -hmm. um, and so the code sharing has been actually really, really profitable. And as a result, they're, they're, they're helping us a lot because we're, we're returning the favor. Um, <clears throat> what we're seeing as a result, then, is that we're actually able to, to kind of, we call it iteration, right? We're able to, to repeat and recycle and replace things and kind of uh, tweak them on the fly a lot faster than we were able to do before. So our overall goal is that, you know, especially as the design tools all ramp up and we've been building them to take advantage of that, you're at the point where you can be running the game on one screen and, like, literally, like, take a campfire and be like, uh, slowly to the left and it slides over, right? And characters, like, get nudged out of the way on the fly. And that's letting us do a lot more tuning than we could do in the past where we'd have to, like, shut the game down, rebuild the level, load the game again and take a look. Um, we're hoping, as a result, we're going to see overall just just giant jump in visual quality uh, in the, the presentation of things we can do. Guys can take cameras and literally just go, nudge. Oh, yeah, that's much better. Lock it in. Done. Yep. So... Uh, those are some huge pluses, and uh, we've been able to we've been able to leverage a lot of their, their visual stuff just to, to get. Well, we've talked about kind of one of our big goals being some more some more openness, not not necessarily you know open world, but a game that, that that lets you go off the beaten path a lot more than we've done with the previous DAs. So that has been primo. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think um, uh, getting a little bit of exploration back in our games is something we've really been trying to do uh, now, especially on this game. Freedom and player agency. And yeah. Nugs. <laughs> In that order. <clears throat> well, we kind of have a show and tell philosophy here at Bioware. So uh, we're going to um, not tease too much of our next thing. And instead, I want to move to another quick fire. Tell me about a minor NPC that you really love and why. Hmm. 
Um, so I really like Dagna. I think she's. Uh, yeah, well, I almost didn't use her because I was like, well, I just don't want to say anything. Um, so, what? No. What? Yeah. What? what? Yeah. Um, oh, now I've lost my why. <laughs> You've, uh, you've backed into your own trap, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Admiral Akbar would be most upset. Yes. Um, so I think she just brings another sort of aspect. I, I, th- I think she lightens the the um, the mage story a little bit um, because she's someone that really wants this, something that everyone else is typically trying to run away from or hide from or trying not to be part of. She really wants to be part of it. I think it helps round out uh, the story a lot. Me? Uh, it's a quick fire, so... <laughs> it's not that quick right now. I was kind of like, yeah, Dagna, man. Um, okay, so... You know, I, I, my brain's running through like the catalog, and we have so many bloody minor characters, and obviously you've got your sandals leaping out, and, you know... Uh, and honestly, I think... Bark spawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bark spawn, yes. Thank you, Penny Arcade, for that one. Um, but, I mean, he was in the party, man. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I'm actually, I'm, I guess, you know, thinking about Sentinel, I kind of like all the characters a lot. But, but actually, for me, it's, it's um, kind of Bodan, you know, is, is a guy who stands out. Um, you know, merchant, shows up, sounds kind of weird, you know. Oh, my boy, you know. But, but the thing is, is that um, he's, you know, so... I think he represents a character that is that is so archetypical in games. The merchant that hangs out at your base, right? And it's like, like literally, there are a few things that are more of a piece of game functionality. Hello, I am a convenience item, right? Like he's he's a bottle of ketchup on your on your table at a restaurant before you even order fries, right? Um, you'll need this probably, man. And so. So the fact that the writers took this this thing that, that literally could have had no soul and they turned him into, you know, a characterful kind of you know colorful guy with a history, who also has this weird, awesome fatherly compassion for his kid. You know, who isn't actually his kid? He just found him, but he took him in, he raised him, and he and he, he's just gleaming with pride about my boy, right? And for me, it's like holy crap that that. That guy should not have been that awesome, and and I think that's something where when the when the writers get me, you know, when they're when I'm just oh guys you rock, it's always those little nuanced characters, right? That that just show up, and you're like, wow, that is that is way better than you had any right to be. Well done. So there you go. So while you guys are, I, I'm going to hit all of you guys. So while you're thinking about your answers, I Mike was actually on a panel yesterday about parenting and gaming. Do you think that since you have become a parent? something like your your reaction to Bodine is shifted or do you think you've always felt the same way about him no I, I would I would say it shifted I mean this the the discussion yesterday was really interesting and, and um, the comparison I drew was uh, uh, we, for the panel we, we'd been asked you know can you can you guys play heavy rain if you hadn't and I, I had but I was like you know I actually haven't played heavy rain since I became a father all right let's bust that out and oh, oh this <laughs> This is way worse. So I think I think probably yeah. Um, it, it's it's one of those things where where you know you, you, you like you go from being a person who's just trying to figure out your own shit, you know, to a person who now has to protect someone else's shit <laughs> and parenting quite, um, quite quite literally yeah 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 quite literally for the first three years yes. or so. Um, it is precious. We must anyway. So. 
Um, yeah, when you, I guess when you see that and you get the fact that, that that's been evoked, right? That this, you, know, you just found this kid, he brought him in. You know, Sandal's probably not going to win any SATs, but he, but he, he does something very special, and his dad's celebrating that. It, for me, that really resonates, and you know, I kind of hope. I kind of hope I can be that good a dad. So, Aww. yeah, that's really, that's, I don't know. I like him a lot more, maybe just because I've got that frame of reference now. Yeah, that's awesome. Ben, we'll start with you. Uh, uh, and then we will work our way in, inland. Well, I was, I was thinking about trying to make a minor joke, but I couldn't really grasp it. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. Anyway, so I'm going with the Rias in Legacy. Mm. Because... Well, the shambling thing, but also just, I feel like, <laughs> I just like the guy, you know? Like, I like these I like these minor characters that show up, and they may only have a few lines. I mean, he, he was in it for a lot of it, but they may only have a few lines, and they really feel, like, you can fill in the backstory so much as a player on, on your own, you know? And you can think, like, wow, this guy, he's been through a lot, <laughs> and... Um, I, I love I love as a player being able to be like um, how did he get there and and um, he, I felt like he was a good example of that. We, I, our writers do a lot of characters like that um, and they tend to be my favorites because of that um, well and, and if I can editorialize Mr. Editor but seriously Larias the thing, the thing with him is like we had the calling you know we, we had that that one video Blur did for us and stuff that kind of talks about the wardens and kind of what's at stake right yeah. and Larias was the first time we'd explored like what happens if the warden doesn't get the honorable death he's looking for mm-hmm. and turns into that and it's like god these guys kind of these guys put it out, out there don't they mm-hmm. and I, I, I thought that was really cool to explore and the art team then was like more scabs more. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I've been thinking about it. I, I think I think I would say Brother Genitivi. I think oh, we should have said yeah, Brother Genitivi. <laughs> <laughs> you mean wait? You mean the guy with the knife in the back of his head? Well, it's just it's just that after you know after playing all the way through Origins and reading all those codex entries and now working on the world of Thetis, like he sort of he sort of feels like my brother. You know, like I've spent so much time with him. Um, but but I also I really enjoy how the Dragon Age team has taken this information that you want to know about the world that you're playing in um, and and turned it into a character interaction. You know they give it all of this information, a perspective, a personality. Um, this this whole like this whole person develops through through these these entries um, that that. Uh, Otherwise, just could be very dry. You know, it, it really it it gives the the world and the game a, a vitality, where even even when you're just sort of filling in texture, you're still interacting with a character in a way. You know, in the knife. Yeah. Also, also that I'm into that. Crumpled up pile of Genitivi on the floor. It's great. Um, I am going to have to go with Cullen. I think because um, he is so. In Origins, he is so freaked out by what happens to him. So freaked out. And then you have him in Dragon Age 2, and he's sitting there actually thinking it through and trying to step back from his experience and thinking, you know what, uh, this is this is crazy, and I'm going to be the reasonable guy, and I'm going to try and um, I'm going to try and walk that middle road and understand that not all mages are bad and evil and dangerous and terrible, <laughs> and that there are good people out there too. So we have to be moderate as Templars. So. I like that he's a minor character who 
uh, reflects a lot of what's going on, a lot of the bigger issues in the world, who really changes over the course of two games without having a huge part. He's got a really fun fandom, too. A lot of, a lot of passionate fans in the Bioware community. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, I, I, I do love the kind of the shades that you see in the Templars. A lot of them are so, you know, just so uh, Cassandra is one. You see a lot of that in um, the anime movie. Um, Evangeline is another one where a lot of them are grappling with so many moral issues that is coming up with this, you know, where the mages sit. And yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Nick, do you have one for us? I've got a villain, kind of a villain, sort of. Um, Bartrand is, I always thought his role in the story was interesting. He's kind of cut from the same cloth as Vark. I mean, they are family. Um, but it's it's interesting in that he kind of, to me, he kind of humanizes the bullshit that Varric is. Like, to see that, you know, he does have a family and that, you know, they're willing to collaborate to a certain extent. And then he kind of has to distance himself from that. Like, no, that's not me. That's not me. That's him. Um, I don't know. I always just thought that was interesting. Um, and when we were designing Barton, we always had sort of a picture of Varric open at all times just to make sure that they kind of belong in the same sort of genetic mm-hmm. pool, even though they're so different from each other. So I don't know. I just thought he was an interesting character. I'm going to throw another question at you, and um, Mike and Mark, feel free to jump in. When I think of uh, Dragon Age 2 and the art style, I think actually of a lot of the work that you've done. Um, you did a lot of the, his frescoes the right word? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the yep. frescoes. Some of the things that, um, you know, you don't really think of until it's not there, like uh, the artwork on some of the load screens sure. and some of the, just really the, the stylization. Um, I, I'm really curious about how you guys came to that art style with obviously like Matt Golden involved as well. Um, and the direction you took with that. Sure. Um, the frescoes started actually in DAO. Um, we needed some kind of storytelling device to sort of give the backstory of like the original Blights. Um, and so the art director had suggested just sort of like pages of illuminated script. And then I teamed up with a cinematics animator and said, no, let's do something cooler, a little flashier. And we came up with that fresco cinematic that happens at the beginning of DAO. Um, in DA2, we just started taking that a little further. So um, we just refined the style a little bit. So it didn't, didn't look quite so stodgy, I guess. Like a, not, as, not as medieval looking. Like trying to come up with something that's a little newer and fresher um, and more colorful. Um, so yeah, it was just sort of a natural evolution. Um, he, he uh, yeah, the art director for DA2 had kind of just seen that and thought, let's try to incorporate that. Uh, with the load screens, he was like, well, if you're going to be sitting there waiting, let's just have something pretty to look at at the very least. So that's where he decided to put that in. Make that it, really, it really pushes it to just, just a very, you know, you have a lot of fantasy genre, um, you know, all over in film and in gaming and and to me, it's such a distinctive look that you don't think, you know, fantasy. You think Dragon Age when you see it. Cool. Well, that's kind of what we're going for. The visual distinction um, is something that I think is very important to fantasy because it's so easy to fall into, you know, it is fields and dudes in generic armor. And, Tudor house. And, yeah, Tudor style house and so on. Um, you, need to, you need to have a unique look. And um, I said this yesterday, but I think it bears repeating. Uh, is that I think that there uh, there was a fear uh, among people who played DA2 because you know the load screens were awesome, but 
uh, yeah, obviously, area variety comes up fairly often if we look at postmortems. And I think there was a fear that because parts of the visual style had changed and we'd moved to Kirkwall, that Kirkwall was, ergo, the new visual style for Dragon Age. And that, you know, oppressive, brutalist architecture would be our leitmotif from then on. And that's, that's not the intention, right? I mean, Kirkwall was basically designed, it's, you know, like the concept team does, it's got a history. It was the place that Vinter brought all the southern slaves to basically break them down, so they built the place to be scary as hell, right? You know, welcome to your new home. It sucks. And, you know, so, so don't fight back because we'll throw you off the cliff. Was basically, uh, Vinter are not subtle people, um, especially not back in the old Empire days. So as a result then, I, you know, people were kind of looking at that, and I think there was a fear that big gray slab buildings would be what we, what we go with from now on. Which is in part, when, when I was mentioned yesterday, in part why we actually, you know, went so far with Mark of the Assassin, right? To make an Orlesian-style, you know, garden and villa and, and the rolling green fields and stuff. To be like, no, 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 Orlesian culture looks very, very different from, you know, the south, uh, you know, south of Starkhaven, right? Um, Kirkwall and, and the Tevinter-controlled stuff is a style. Ferelden is a style, you know, a lot more fur and wood and more natural elements in Ferelden. And Orlé is very gilded and, you know, covered in... in um, what was it Rococo styling in terms of the, yeah. the oh, look at me I'm like an artist um, <laughs> so just trying to make sure that, that you know there was a degree of comfort that no 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 it's not just this from now on and that's um, that's I think part of having a visual identity is to go yes cool the franchise needs a look right you know a degree of, of characterization and so on that makes it stand out but further each space that we're pouring all this cultural work into also has its own look so the Anderfels we haven't explored too much, but I think every piece of concept art has like a tankard at their belt. So <laughs> that tells you something about them as people. They're my people. <laughs> so uh, I want to do one more question before we give it to the audience. I think it's really important for you guys to be able to ask questions too. Um, just to transition into that, can we talk a little bit about uh, what fan feedback means for Dragon Age in terms of um, past development? You know, I, I always try to make it really clear that we don't crowdsource our games. It's not, you know, something where we throw it out and basically ask someone else to design it for us. Uh, I'm really proud of the work that the team does and the creative vision that you guys have. But I'm also really, I really want to um, talk a little bit about what fan feedback means and kind of where it goes into the process of making the game. Um, crowd, crowd feedback, you guys, is really important to us. Um, in part, you can become a little bit inward-looking, um, and and um, it's black. Oh, are you doing pantomime beside me? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and and while it's important to work on something that uh, that you yourself love, you have to make sure that you're not, you know, making steampunk, cat girl, whatever, whatever. Mike's into. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is this is just fixing me, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, it's mainly you. Um, so it's important that you that you use it to ground yourself and continue making what you believe in and what you think is important, what you think will be great, but uh, just not become too too uh, self-selecting in your in your direction. Yeah, and and I mean, first off, it's it's steampunk meerkats and tiger girls. So okay, <laughs> let's get specific there. But the um, the fundamental thing is that, that, you know, so it's funny. It's like it's like the fringe, right? So there's 
You can have a fringe camp that's like, they're not listening at all on anything, which is not right. You have another fringe which, you know, like, they've asked for our feedback. They don't even know what they're doing. Okay, geez, guys, shush. All right. Then you get the more realistic, you know, state, which is, you know, this is the, part of why I come to PAX is because getting to talk to you guys is, like, the best fucking part of my year, right? Because <laughs> I come here, and you're like, man, I like your games. I didn't like that cave so much. Cool. <laughs> I hear ya. Right, and that, that's really energizing because, it, because you know, it's, it's a good reminder that you're able to, you know, you're able to enjoy a thing despite certain weaknesses and, and so on and so forth. You have critical skills. Good job. But um, here's the thing is when we, when we get feedback, we tend to get it kind of in aggregate, right? You look at all kinds of sources. You grab your reviewers. You talk to people face-to-face. You sit down and run a focus test, like a post-mortem with crowds and stuff, and you say, all right, what are the things that come up all the time? Right, that's the key, and uh, then you have to do. And this is where the designer work comes in, or, or the, the you know the production side work comes in. Is you can give me tons of feedback, and it's rarely specifically actionable for a game. It's not very often that I can go, okay, cool. Well, Bob said this, so more blue, right? Like that. That's not usually something you can do. But what you can do is look for larger themes and go, excellent. These are things that now go onto the list of gut checks, right? As we go through each phase of development, we're like, okay, hold on. All right. This is a choice. Does it have a consequence? Is it visible in the game? Does it have some element of dilemma? Is it a tough choice or is there an obvious right outcome? You start to build up these things and you're like, okay, we need to make sure we get these ones right. We need to nail them to the wall and we need to do that by constantly gut checking ourselves. And that's where the feedback gets so helpful. Because it reminds you the stuff you need to be paying attention to with your own internal development. And then beyond that, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you, you then have to do, right? And, and the feedback, I think, is more directional at that phase. Because I think it was Henry Ford who's pretty famous for saying, you know, if you ask people what they really wanted, they would have told you a faster horse, right? Because, yeah, that's true. But what they actually wanted was more speed. But horse was the only context they knew. And ide- in an ideal scenario, I'm able to take what you guys are looking for. I really, I just, I hate that I was stuck in a city and go, so that's lack of freedom. How can we address lack of freedom with the tools at our disposal? Maybe assembly line model T's. <laughs> Driven by steampunk tiger girls and meerkats. Yeah. Just putting that out there. You did indeed just put that out there. I did. Well, that got weird. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to open up for questions. Um, I want to preface this. We have our... Oh, you have a mic. Look at this. Um, our, our lovely online development producer, Ryan, over there, is going to be hopping around so that you can sit down and relax and ask your question. I just want to preface this um, with the, the disclaimer. We are not talking about uh, the next Dragon Age game, so it's going to be really awkward when you say, are we going to see more of blank and everyone has to be like... Next question? Yeah, I'm sorry. We'll, our response will be, Meh! Yeah. Yeah, so, so just remember, don't put us or you in the awkward position of asking that stuff. And um, we will be doing a signing when the Bioware base opens again at like 3.30ish. But we have about 20 minutes for questions. So, Ryan, I'm going to put it to you. and I'm gonna be That sounds good. I'm going to be working this side of the room. And the equally lovely uh, Hillary is going to be working that side of the room. So, who do we got over her? Oh, and uh, just a reminder, these uh, mics, you really got to eat them, so uh, spread the fandom around. Get it, get it right up and close. Uh, my question is for Dave. Okay, meet in the mic. <laughs> so I'm someone that actually did not play video games until Dragon Age came around, 
And I really enjoyed reading the books and reading the comics. Now, we've seen a lot of stuff with Alistair and Isabella recently in the comics. Are there going to be more party members coming about later on? Are there plans? Um, Well, I can tell you that uh, our third series, Until We Sleep, which starts this month, is concluding the story that we've been doing in the prior two series with Alistair and Isabella and Varric searching for the fate of King Varric. Uh, we've got the big showdown with Aurelian Titus. It's going to have the fade. It's going to be awesome. Um, so, so once that story wraps up, well, you know, now we're ready to tell a new story. So, okay. any any d- tidbits? Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, doesn't it feel good? <laughs> Do I have to stand up? I'm right here. Uh, hey. Okay. So. Um, <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> Um, in Dragon Age Origins, um, the kind of how you how you decide your warden goes about things. There's a lot of different choices as far as um, what you would say to how you would respond. There's a lot of different personalities, and then in Dragon Age Two, it became more like um, the Mass Effect sort of like here's your Paragon, here's your Renegade, here's like your neutral thing. Not exactly like that, obviously, but you know, less choices. Um, it, how how hard is I know that's kind of been like a something that a lot of people have said things about that they wish they had more choices. Um, I'm interested in the process of finding that happy medium because now that you know your character kind of has a voice actor, um, you know they obviously can't. There's so many different lines of dialogue that you can go on. So many trees of just it's got to be insane, but. How do you find that happy medium to kind of address those complaints, but still be realistic as to how you build the game and not completely just destroy yourselves? All right. At the, at the risk of ant territory, um, I can talk about just kind of philosophically. Uh, I think that, that where... So when you, when you look at the way an origin dialogue was set up and structured is that throughout, throughout, the, throughout the dialogue you would have you know, a list of options and the, honestly the fundamental like uh, you know, kind of a, a, a higher brow tone, the, the kind of the little zinger and then you know, the harsher tone that, we've kind of always written to that but I'm, but I'm very keenly aware that what the wheel does is it, it, it tends to, to it locks those into fixed positions because there is a degree of consistency you want in your, in your physical input, right? Like you know, I tend to be down low. If you're like, I'm a nice guy, up left, up left, up left, and then you're like, suddenly your character's like eating faces. You're like, whoa, wait, where did that come from, right? <laughs> and yes, you could say that, well, you should have been paying attention, Blair, but at that point, we're just getting kind of wanky. So um, so we, we tend to do that, and I think that, that it, it maybe opens the kimono a bit to say, like, this has kind of always been here, but it, but it makes it a little more obvious. Um, where I think, you know, Dragon Age 2, if I were to do the micro-postmortem right now, where I don't think it um, stood up as well as it could have, were the moments where what you were saying was not actually a tone. It wasn't a keep-going kind of moment. It was more of a, hey, man, how you feeling? And role-playing games, I think, really, really benefit from the moment where an NPC or someone pauses and goes, so, sup? 
And that isn't like, you shouldn't be snarky response to that. And we had a whole dominant tone system where if you'd been consistently snarky and then you said stuff, it would kind of interact your tone. Anyway, it was all kind of card tricks under the table. It was like really impressive, but you couldn't see what was going on. So you really wasn't that impressive. Um, you know, it's like, look at that, and I've got your card. Prove it, you know. Um, so it looked good from our end, but, but when you got it into game, I don't think it was there. And I think that something I'd like to explore is that there are more moments where the game kind of challenges you to, to express your character's opinion and feelings and that kind of thing. And that's something that, that, you know, putting it purely in the context of DA2, if we'd had moments where maybe the wheel didn't have icons or we just kind of had a generic icon where it was just kind of like you didn't feel like there was any kind of impetus to be consistent, that it was, it was your time to just go and then you could have an interaction, a real like let's get in this kind of interaction. I think that would have helped. Uh, and, you know, so I'm... I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to just kind of come to that realization understand, you know, the wheel has its strengths it's, it's consistent, it's fast, it's clean uh, it, it, it lets you know which ones are investigating, which ones move on so you never kind of like accidentally skip past dialogues, that's cool um, but I think there's still work to do and it was our kind of our first crack at it, we'd learned a lot from Mass but Dragon Age and Mass have different writing styles a different character and we want to we want to keep exploring that space as we go okay? yeah was that, was that good? Yeah. Okay. You didn't go, eh, so I figured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a lot of characters in your games, like the companions specifically, that the player, like me, I got very attached to Meryl in Dragon Age 2. She reminded me a lot of myself. And then Volana in Awakening. And Morrigan, and like just strong characters, female or male, um, just and everybody gets attached to one in particular. Anybody of you, like any of you, have like a favorite companion character? Ooh. Well, let's go down the line, Ben. You want to start? Uh, Meryl, for me too. I love yeah. Meryl. Um, <laughs> I said I think yesterday that she reminded me of me, which is, <laughs> <laughs> same yeah. legs. Yeah. Same, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I love I love Meryl so much. She, uh, I love taking her along with Varric. Um, that that was the banter alone. Like I I just got so attached to her. Um, and on as uh, in my canon playthrough, married her, all that stuff. So uh, and followed her down the rabbit hole all the way. <laughs> which I yeah I, I love Meryl. <laughs> uh, I'd say. Uh... Isabella, because she reminds me a lot of myself. <laughs> Same legs. Um, uh, I, I really, I really like Isabella, particularly as we've been working with her on the comics, because she has so much complexity. Um, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. That uh, she's absolutely one of these characters where you feel like you have pinned her down right away that you know what kind of person she is and what kind of role she's going to play. And then as you play the game and, and as we've explored her history in the comics, you, you realize, like, actually there's, there's this really um, sophisticated, complicated person behind there who's trying to work out their, their personality and, and that you, you can't just simply define. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that about that character. I've answered this question before. I don't know if I've given the same answer any time, and I know I'm giving a different answer today. I'm going to say Varric today um, because he's got this very strong sort of bromance thing going on with Hawk, um, which is really not something I've experienced very much in my life, and I like the, the idea of a character that 
really has your back no matter what, um, that he may not agree with you, but no matter what, he's going to walk through that fire with you? Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, I, 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 I used to say Varric until um, at PAX East last year, Matt Rhodes, who's like our lead concept artist, basically dropped on me that Varric was kind of modeled on me. <laughs> I was talking. I was talking about voice acting and how you know once they hear the voice, the concept artist can actually sometimes refine the character further. And Matt kind of leaps out of the audience and comes up and he's like, "I want everyone to know that all of Eric's poses are like how Mike talks." And I was like, "Oh fuck!" Can't, can't, can't use him anymore. So, I, so, I so you can, love yourself? Yeah, I know. That's. I just decided to move past that. The narcissism was too much. Um, so the the other the other care obviously going to Origins, right, Liliana is just I think she's amazing um, she's she's cute she's girly she knows how to assassinate people she you know she isn't using sex as a weapon so much as she's kind of adorable and deadly as a mix in a, in a way that I think you know especially the more you interacted with her the more you realize that again you, you went deeper into the character and at first she just seems kind of like the ditz then you're like oh no actually she's actually got some really competent skill and then you're like wait no she's actually a creature of of incredible faith based on, you know, certain moments that, that she'd encountered in her life. And, and so the more you dug into there, the more exciting it was. And then, of course, honestly, we had so much fun making Liliana's song because it was another... It was actually our first crack at the unreliable narrator. You know, exactly how much of it is true. Most of it, you think, but there are parts that don't quite line up deliberately because Luke's that guy and had fun with it. Um, and honestly, we got to do those awesome vroom, splash screens when the villain showed up. So that was, that was kind of cool, too. Uh, just quickly, I have to say, Ben, I'm pretty excited to learn that I am not the only person who has a canon playthrough. <laughs> anyway, um, I really got attached to Win. Well, surprisingly, I guess, because, you know, at first I was kind of like, eh, badass granny, a little boring, a little talky-downy to you, like you don't know what you're doing, and she's, and she's wise and all-knowing. But then, you know, the more you get to know her, the more you realize that she's, uh, she's so sweet, and she really has this wealth of interesting experiences she's drawing on, and she's done some pretty amazing stuff. Um, and she's she's there to help you. And uh, I think Mark, you said that there's it, it's nice to have somebody there who's always got your back. I kind of felt like that was win for uh, for my warden. But, yeah. um, I'm sorry to repeat a character, but Varric is is uh, my favorite Boo. character as well. Sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it honest. It's for the same reason. Um, I guess the closest character to him in Origins would be Alistair as the kind of guy who's got your back, but he had so many like he was just he had so many hang ups that like he could never be there for me. I was always there for him. I have issues too. Varric <laughs> would sit down and hash them out. He he's my high school buds, you know what I mean? Like that's who he is. He's a security blanket in a way, so yeah. So Varric. okay, I, I got it. Okay. By, sh- by round of applause, who would really like to see Garrus and Varric hang out? Because yeah! <laughs> we've got some pretty, I have some pretty firm rules about crossovers between the two, but that, that, that would probably be the battering ram that could get through the gate. <laughs> just, just a character study, it'd be like, just the two of them in a bottle episode. <laughs> so, it's a nice crossbow. Right? <laughs> Away you go. 
All right, we got time for two more, two more. So we got one here, and then, you know, we always just kind of go back and forth between the uh, seated folks, but what about the Vox Populi? So uh, we'll do the last one uh, from over here. Uh, I was wondering if you guys could talk a little bit about the writing process for the books, and specifically, like, if you look at the game and say, okay, here's a spot that we need to fill that we want to talk about here, or if you have, like, kind of an overarching outline of the entire story, and you pick points from that. Like what? How do you how do you kind of like formulate the storyline? Uh, so the, so that process kind of begins on our side with with Dave and I, and so we we have a overarching arc for the game, but within that arc um, and for the games, uh, within that arc, there's lots of room to explore. Right, it's how we look at it, and and as we mentioned earlier, the books are a great opportunity to explore stories that you know wouldn't fit in the game as well, or that that branch off from a known character and kind of has them doing their own stuff. So it. Um, Let's just do it. My fundamental philosophy is that the books and the comics should actually augment the story. They should all be part of one canon. Not necessarily your saved game canon, you know, because Dalster might be dead, and that's weird in the comics. Rambling, shambling, <laughs> shambling for his father. But, um, <laughs> but, the, but the big thing for me is that they are, for within, within like the, say you loaded up the game and you've got a default save, it would also match what the books and the comics are working from. So there's a degree of consistency. And that's why Ben's around to be police that stuff. Hello. Um, <laughs> and we start with that. And whenever we're doing books, if it's if it's someone like Dave, he kind of just grabs something he really wants to do. Often, like something like Loghain in Stolen Throne, like he wanted to deepen the character so Loghain wasn't a mustache twirling villain, right? And quite successfully did so, in my opinion. If it's an external author, we'll t- kind of start with like, here's a spread of things you could explore, and then ask them what they're the most interested in. Because I, I really only want to work with people who are digging Fran- like Dragon Age as a, as a whole. And Stacy's great at finding those people, so thank you. Um, and then what we end up with is um, a book that they're invested in, but that still kind of advances one of the things that we kind of had in our pool of stuff we want to dig in on. And then kind of Stacy and I start working together on that, so... Um, and for me, when I'm when I'm working on these books and when I'm editing them, there are a couple things I'm always looking out for and trying to do. One is I'm trying to be cognizant of the fact that Bioware needs to have a canon. You know, this is a big world; it's a sprawling world. There are a lot of choices that you guys can make, and you know, not all of them um, are going to be the same choices Bioware needs to make in order to tell the story that they're trying to tell. Having said that, I try and. Um, I always, I always push back a little bit whenever I see something in one of the books that says, and this is what happened to the warden, because I'm trying to leave that space for you guys as much as I can. Because, you know, fundamentally, this is all about stories, and you guys are in a unique position of being able to make your own story. So let's let you have that. You know, let's, let's not step on the toes of, of what your personal canon might be. So... Um, yeah, we're, we're really careful about not putting a character you play into yeah. the novels. Like, hey there, I'm a man. Like, I'd, I'd rather not do that if possible. That just, I'm okay if Alistair survived, but just like, oh yeah, your character? No, wrong. That seems so ooky. So that is great effort. You guys have talked some about the feedback you've gotten about things that, you, that fans didn't like, like the same cave over and over, um, villains dropping out of the sky in the fights in DA2, but what are some things that you implemented that you're still very proud of or that you enjoy, game mechanics or a plot, particular plot line? So for me, I think um, uh, Dragon Age 2 really, it's a nice stepping stone for combat. I don't think we got there, and, and I think... Um, uh, wave combat is certainly something that makes uh, the ability to play 
the combat tactically very difficult, but I think we took something very staid from Dragon Age Origins and, and started to move it in more of a responsive direction. Um, there's still a long ways to go there. Um, that's probably the thing I think we, we made the biggest progress. I, I do also like having an art direction that is something we can actually own. Um, I, Origins is a bit... It's a bit hard to pick it out of the lineup if you take games from was that 2009 and line up all the fantasy games and mix up all the, the uh, screenshots. It's kind of hard to tell them apart. Um, and it's, it's difficult to, 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 to own something when that's the case. I think um, for me, probably the, one of the things I was, I was really, really happy with is this, this is going to sound worse than it is, but we, we did manage to break the mold you know the Bioware kind of standard story, which we've we've done to varying degrees, and every story's got its own got its own thing, and it's a it's a pretty good hero's journey. Um, but with with DA two, we actually did kind of kind of shake it loose and said, okay, let's let's try some new stuff. Let's try evolution over time. Let's try um, let's take a look at what it's like to to you know have some actual loss and despair that you can't always avert. Um, let's and let's not have you join an order of incredibly powerful people who refuse to help you later in the game. Um, <laughs> we we got better about that over time. I just I always go back to the Jedi Council. Here's a spaceship. Uh, go build your own lightsaber and good luck, you know, <laughs> guys. Come on. I mean, yes, there were very good reasons. They were bedraggled and everything was tough. And anyway, but still, like, come on. Um, so that that and it was it was for us. It was a bit of a risk. It was challenging. It helped shake us loose, right? We'd, and and it's, it's important to understand. You, you, this is transparent to you guys. But we've been working on Origins for, what, six years? Yeah. Six years of the, of the same game. And, like, the thought of just doing that one again was kind of like, whoa. You know, like, I, I used to joke. I've seen people get all angry about it. But, like, you know, that, that, that we didn't want to staple two archdemons together, call it a super blight, and, and that would be our sequel. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, of course, someone comes along and goes, well, maybe you should have, and, well, Celebi. Um, but, uh, but, you know, that's, those are the calls you live with. Uh, but I think that, that there was, so essentially, it was something new for us, and, and the thing that, I, that I, I took away that I really loved, yes, I like the, com- the combat, not the encounters, um, is the way that the followers had interactions in and amongst themselves outside of just interacting with me, right? And, and uh Lord love the sin designer. She stayed like till two in the morning, getting Isabella to wink at you as she walked past, leaving Fenris's house. And that was the hardest thing in the entire game. She was just like, <laughs> "No, again, again," and to get that thing actually looking right. And when I finally saw it, I was like, "Wow, you you knocked that out of the park." But but the sense that maybe she was actually flirting with Fenris, and that you know, Varric always had like someone hanging out and telling jokes. And when you wandered in, I liked that kind of interplay. The feeling that they were real people who um, had lives outside of me. Uh, Alrighty, folks, I think that's about it. So before we go, thank you very much for coming. Thank you out. Uh, thank you to the Dragon Age panel as well. Uh, thanks very much, everybody. Peace out.
So that's it from the Bioware base. But we here at Nerd Appropriate would like to thank Bioware for uh, allowing us to bring this content to you guys. Um, and if you are new to this site, uh, Ash, why don't you give them a little rundown of who we are and what, we're, what we've been up to. So we are nerdappropriate.com and we do a podcast by the name of Rated N.A., uh, and we're actually coming up on our big 100th episode. So we've been doing this for about uh, two and a half years. Uh, do not listen to the early episodes, please. Uh, <laughs> they get better. They age like a fine wine or cheese. You should absolutely take a look through our archives of different podcasts um, where we've had some amazing special guests from the Bioware universe. People like Patrick Weeks, uh, David Gator, Mike Gamble, Ali Hillis, Courtney Taylor, Jennifer Hale. It doesn't get any better than that. So um, we're super honored to have such amazing special guests and, of course, to Bioware, as always. Absolutely. And that's not all. If you've been uh, listening to these podcasts, you've probably heard our theme song that starts and ends every podcast. And that theme song was composed by Jimmy Henson, who was uh, one of the composers on Mass Effect 2. Um, definitely visit his band camp, um, Big Giant Circles. Check out his website. Um, plenty more Mass Effect music and other cool tunes um, on Big Giant Circles. So thanks for listening, and of course, uh, if you are digging this content, follow us at Nerd Appropriate or, or follow Bioware and let them know that you're digging the stuff that we're putting out. Uh, and as always, subscribe to the podcast and you can keep getting these wonderful little nuggets of joy in your, uh, your podcast feeds. So thank you guys so much. Until next time. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.